0: what's up guys welcome back to the bible schooled podcast so we are at the time of this recording just over a week away from october 31st 2020 that's halloween of course and uh, i thought it would be fun to do an episode kind of in the spirit of the season this is a time of year when the supernatural is on everybody's mind ghosts monsters, things that go bump in the night, the whole bit. Now, for those of you who might not know me personally, I attend a non-denominational church and I graduated from a non-denominational Bible college. But the history of my alma mater has a lot of overlap with the Assemblies of God, which is the biggest Pentecostal denomination in the world. So that's my background. I am unashamedly Pentecostal charismatic. Which means that here on this show, we believe in the supernatural. We believe in a spiritual world. We believe in an unseen realm that influences the time and space in which we live. Of course, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, is the Most High. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John's Gospel that God is spirit and those who worship him must do so in spirit and truth. God is the supreme spirit being, and even though he is unrivaled, he's the most high, he's unrivaled, he is not unopposed. In Genesis 3, we are introduced to a divine rebel in the garden, a divine being in Eden who leads Adam and Eve astray. And the book of Revelation identifies this rebel as the devil or Satan. And this is a spirit being that the Bible portrays as the chief opposer to God and to God's people. So when it comes to the supernatural, when it comes to the unseen realm, there are good guys and bad guys. God and Satan, angels and demons. And honestly, that's uh, a little simplistic. We'll definitely dig into those details in future episodes. But for now, the important thing to know is that there are good guys and bad guys. And at Halloween, it seems to be a time of year where the world is really, really focused on the bad guys. Horror movies, demons, ghosts, hauntings, witches, hexes, curses, the list goes on. Now, something I've noticed just growing up in the world of Pentecostal charismatic Christianity, it is not uncommon for people to be focused on the bad guys, like, all the time. One of the things I've come across repeatedly over the years is the idea of a generational curse. Now, it varies depending on what the denomination or what the circle or the group of Christianity you might find yourself in, but for a lot of people, uh, generational curses are a huge deal. In fact, teachings about generational curses have been making a comeback recently. You know, it was popularized way back in the day by a guy named Derek Prince. And uh, the teaching, it persists today with some modifications with books like uh, The Courts of Heaven. That's a real popular one uh, recently. Now, before we go any further, I think it'll be a good idea to frame for you what the traditional concept of a generational curse is. Now, full disclosure, this definition is not any kind of, like, official academic definition. Um, This definition is coming from my own experience growing up and living and working in this particular church world, listening to different pastors and teachers over the years. And as best as I can tell, when people talk about generational curses, what they mean is something along these lines. A generational curse is a sickness or a negative pattern of behavior stemming from demonic activity that consistently manifests in a family as the result of past sins. In other words, your great-great-grandfather committed some kind of sin, and that opened up a door to a demonic entity, and that demon, to use uh, the language of the movement that demon has a legal right to harass your family across generational lines unless that sin that gave entrance to the demon is repented for and therefore the curse broken so uh, a, a big one a big example would be like infertility right so maybe someone in your family tree was like an adulterer or a prostitute, or a rapist, or something like that. And that kind of sexual sin opened the door for a demon to come in, and now you, all these generations later, are struggling with infertility. That, that's a, a, a classic example of what a generational curse might look like. So, what I want to do on this episode is ask the question, is that biblical? Are generational curses biblical? And if so, are they really the result of demonic activity? But before we get into it, let me take a few seconds to pause and say thank you again for listening to the show. It is a joy for me uh, to study and record these episodes for you, and it makes me very happy that you're taking the time to listen and to engage the scriptures with me. Uh, one quick bit of news: uh, we are now on Google Podcasts. So, if you're an Android person or you know someone who is an Android person, it is now much easier to find and listen to the show on Android devices. So, just go to the the Google Play Store or Google Podcasts, um, whatever it is on Android, and just type in Bible School Podcast, and we are right there really really excited to be on another platform um, if you like what you hear on this podcast please consider subscribing or following the show if you're not already if there's been an episode of the podcast that you've listened to and you particularly like send it to a friend advertising is great marketing is great but nothing beats word of mouth so i would really 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 appreciate it If you uh, shared this podcast with your friends and family, it would mean the world to me. Alright, that's my spiel. Back to the topic at hand. Generational curses, are they the result of demonic activity? Is this even a biblical idea? Well, there seems to be scriptures that say yes, but there also seems to be scriptures that say no. Now uh, the big proof text for generational curses, it comes from the book of Exodus chapter 20. Numbers 14, um, that's another big one. It's just about identical to Exodus 20. So I'm just gonna read the Exodus passage here just for the sake of time. For context, this is God giving Moses the 10 commandments at Mount Sinai. So this is right in the middle of the 10 commandments Exodus 20 verses 4 through 6, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them, or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me, and keep my commandments. End quote. Okay, right off the bat, I want you to notice something. Who's doing the punishing in this passage? God is. God is doing the punishment to the third and fourth generation. Which, by the way, that's not like a hard and fast rule that... Uh, four generations have to bear a curse, but then, bam, once we hit that fifth generation, they're good to go. No. To the third and fourth generation is actually a Semitic idiom that just means something like, uh, however many. So, to however many generations. But again, God is doing the punishing here. There is no hint of demonic activity. The Old Testament is very clear That if Israel stayed faithful to God, if Israel stayed faithful to Yahweh, faithful to Torah, they would be blessed. Now, if they went astray, if they disobeyed, if they played the harlot by worshiping false gods, then they would be under a curse. Deuteronomy 28, I I think it's Deuteronomy 28, but uh, you can go read it. It lists all the blessings for obedience and all the curses for disobedience. Another thing I want you to notice about this passage is that it says God will show his love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. We get so fixated on God punishing the sins to the third and fourth generation, but really this passage is highlighting the greatness of God's love. This contrast is vitally important to understanding this passage. The point is to communicate, even under the old covenant, how much further god's love and mercy exceeds his wrath now on the flip side of this we have deuteronomy 24:16 this scripture says parents are not to be put to death for their children nor children put to death for their parents each will die for their own sin okay now that seems flat out contradictory to our previous passage in exodus 20 so, what we need to do is hold these two texts in tension and look to see if there are other portions of scripture that can make sense of it all. And fortunately for us, there is. Two of the prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, deal with this subject. Now, in Ezekiel 18, we read about this proverb that was very popular in ancient Israel. Now, this wasn't like an inspired proverb, like something Solomon wrote, but A proverb, nonetheless, that was oft-repeated, and it went something like this. The parents eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. This was a popular saying in ancient Israel. And verse 3 of Ezekiel 8, God references this proverb, and he says, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel, for everyone belongs to me. The parent as well as the child both alike belong to me, the one who sins is the one who will die. Quote. Now on the heels of that, let me quote Deuteronomy thirty nineteen, where it says This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses, now choose life so that you and your children may live. So here's the deal. Blessing and cursing are tied to choices. And we are only held responsible for the choices that we make on our own. I am not responsible for my father's decisions. And my future child is not responsible for mine. The only person God holds accountable for my choices is me. Now, at the same time we are influenced by our families. Patterns of behavior are picked up subconsciously as we grow up. And even on a a genetic, physical level, there have been studies that show that patterns of behavior in parents, uh, say for instance, mom and dad were both drug addicts, that could genetically predispose a child toward addiction. Just like a physical, genetic level a child can be predisposed to addictive behavior because of the parent's lifestyle, right? That, that's science. Another example, okay, an alcoholic parent physically abuses their child. It's all too common for that child to grow up and fall into that pattern. Now, if you want to call that a generational curse, then sure, I'm fine with that. In that sense, yes, I believe that generational curses exist. But remember, Exodus 20, the clobbering passage for generational curses. No hint of demonic activity. No hint. And I think it's important for us not to conflate the natural consequences of sin with the malicious activities of a demonic entity. Now, just to level with you, I know I'm young, but... I've also been in this all my life, okay? I've seen and I've heard a lot. So, you know, struggling with pornography? That's a lust demon. You have to deal with the lust demon. Addicted to cigarettes? Well, that's that nicotine demon. You gotta come to church on Sunday morning. We'll cast the nicotine demon out of you. Okay, like, like I have heard these things. And maybe I'm caricaturing it a little bit, to be fair, but honestly, it is not that... Far off. Now, I, I've even heard teachings that take it as far to say, you know, if you're struggling with your finances, just to give an example, if you're struggling with your finances, you can't ever seem to hold down a job, you can't seem to make ends meet, you can't seem to stay afloat, well maybe you have like a bank robber or a con man in your family tree. And you need to go figure out who that was and repent for that sin in order to get rid of the demon harassing your finances. Okay, I've I've heard teachings like this. And again, these are very, very flawed notions that don't have any backing in scripture. Okay, I'm not saying that demons don't exist. I'm not saying demonic possession isn't real. I'm not saying that demons can't oppress people. I'm not saying that demons don't harass people. Okay. I believe in the unseen realm. I believe in the spiritual realm, a hundred percent. However, if you believe that demonic influence is a component to generational curses, then you're reading that into the text. It's just simply not there. Any curse that gets passed through generational lines in the Bible is tied to the natural consequences of sin, the curse of sin, the wages of which, are death. Now, the only time we are punished for the sins of our parents is if we choose, in an act of our own will, to participate in the same sins. Which, okay, honestly, it happens quite often, to be real. Here's a biblical example. In Genesis 4, we have the story of Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel out of anger, and God punishes him. And if you look at verse 7 of Genesis 4, right after Abel is murdered, God tells Cain that sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Fast forward seven generations to Cain's descendant Lamech. Lamech kills a young man for injuring him, and Lamech says to his wives, in what has to be some of the most romantic poetry you'll find in the Bible, uh, Lamech says to his wives, If Cain is avenged seven times, I will be avenged 77 times. This is a pattern of sinful behavior that started with Cain and persisted and intensified with Lamech. Another example is David. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. Fast forward to his son Solomon. Solomon with all of his wives and concubines. That eventually led him to commit adultery in a spiritual sense by leading the people into idolatry. So, you know, the Bible does seem to tell us that we can be predisposed to the sins of our parents, not because there's a specific demon we have to cast out, but because that's just how the curse of sin works. However, we can choose not to participate in those sins. It desires to have us, but we can rule over it. Now, the problem that the Israelites ran into is that they were actually incapable of ruling over it. They were unable to stay faithful to Yahweh. They were unable to faithfully keep the Torah. And if the Israelites, the people of covenant, who had the law, who had the prophets, if they couldn't rule over sin, then what chance does anyone else have? And that's why we need a savior. In Jeremiah 31, God says just about the same thing he said in Ezekiel about the sour grapes. Each person will die for their own sins. But after God says that, Jeremiah starts to prophesy about a new covenant or a renewed covenant. That's the covenant we're living in now. Jesus came and bore our sins. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness, the Apostle Paul wrote. Paul also wrote in Galatians 3 that Jesus became a curse for us and in Ephesians 1 he writes that those who are in Christ have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. So how do we become free from sin? How do we live free from the curse of sin? Through faith and repentance. That's the answer. Through faith and repentance, we trust in Christ and we repent from our sin. It's that simple in the New Covenant. You don't have to get a packet from Ancestry.com to trace your lineage and find the criminal in your family tree so you can repent of their sin in order to get the demons harassing you to quit. That's not necessary. All you need to do is trust in Christ and repent from your sin and he will make you free. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Whether that's freedom from the natural consequences of the curse of sin or freedom from actual demonic oppression. Like, again, I want to reiterate that I'm not denying the reality of demonic influence in the world, it's a spiritual world, everything is spiritual. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that the devil is the god of this world. There is no neutral ground out there. You're either in Christ and blessed with every spiritual blessing, or you're not, and you're subject to the curse, and you're subject to demonic influence. That's the spiritual reality that we live in. So if you ask me, okay, Ian, can a demon plague a family of unbelievers across generational lines? Well, I guess it's entirely possible, but I can't affirm it. Scripture doesn't say one way or the other, so I can't affirm or deny that scripturally. But what I can affirm is that for a Christian, Christ has been made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Galatians 3. I can also affirm scripturally from the great commission in Mark 16 that one of the signs that will accompany those who believe is that they will cast out demons. As believers we've been given authority through the name of Jesus to cast out we've been given that authority and that is a teaching that we will get into on this podcast in future episodes the authority of the believer. But For now, just understand, we've been given that authority. I can affirm that through scripture. So for a Christian, really, we have no business being worried about generational curses, whether it's demonic activity or the result of the natural consequences of sin. We have no business being worried about it because Jesus has already taken care of the problem through his death, burial, and resurrection. He solved it. All we have to do is come to him in faith and repent of our sins and trust in him. All we have to do is trust in Christ and he will take care of us and he will make us free and we will walk in that freedom. So that is my position on generational curses. I think they are biblical in the sense that families often have to deal with the natural consequences of sin. And I think that it is easy for people to fall into the same patterns of sinful behavior that was modeled for them. I think the Bible teaches that. I do not think the Bible teaches that there is a necessary demonic component to generational curses. I don't think that idea is supported by the text. However, in the end, it doesn't matter what the root cause is all we need to do to live in freedom is come to Christ in faith and repentance. Well, that's all I have for this episode, guys. Thank you again so much for listening. I look forward to being with you again on the next episode of the Bible Schooled Podcast. Be blessed.